how many of you feel like sometimes you have all those little emotions going on in your head, not knowing exactly what is going on here with all these emotions? You know, I grew up in a household that I had two very logical parents, and there just wasn't a whole lot of emotion in our household. So when I became an adult, I had a lot of things to learn about emotions. And for those of you who know me really well, you probably still think, she, that girl, she still has a lot to learn about emotions. You know, I remember the very first time that I ever cried at a movie, and that was at Marley and Me, and I was crying over a dog of all things. And my favorite TV show when I was growing up as a kid was Star Trek, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock. I just love Spock. He was a Vulcan, you know. Can anybody do this? Anybody else? Yeah, you can do it. I love Spock because he was a Vulcan, and Vulcans had no emotions. But his, his dad was Vulcan, but his mom was human. So once in a while, he would have this twinge of emotion. And that's how I felt growing up. Like, once in a while, I would have this just twinge of emotion. Most of the time, if I did have emotion, it was because I was angry. And I would get so angry that I cried. And I hated that I cried when I was angry. It would make me even madder that I was crying because I was angry, and I was angry because I was crying. It was this vicious cycle of tears. So I, that was about the only time. Other than that, and Marley and me, it, it was, that was where I was emotionally. And when Lawrence and I started dating, we got, um, went to premarital counseling with our pastor. Our pastor said, you guys are unique. And Lawrence, you are more like the girl in your emotions. And Tracy, you're more like the guy usually is in your emotions. So we were just an anomaly, I guess. Now, even though I feel like I grew up with this emotional deficit in my life, I really feel like the deeper I've gone in my relationship with God and the closer I've gotten with my relationship with the Holy Spirit, I really feel like God has really deepened the emotions in my life. And now it's really not unusual at all to see me down here during praise and worship and I just can't stop the tears because God is just really doing deep things inside of my life. Now. When we're talking about emotions, there are good things about emotions, there are bad things about emotions. People go to therapy over emotions. You can go to anger man management classes. We could have an all-day seminar about emotions. In fact, we probably could have an all-week seminar about emotions. But I wanna reel all that in, and we're just gonna focus on one aspect of emotions, and that's our emotional relationship with God. Do you know there are over 3,000 words in the English language that describe various emotions that we have? And despite all of that descriptive language for emotions, for the most part, I feel like our society tells us maybe, maybe we love our spouse and we love our kids, but all the other emotions, I just feel like society says, yeah, let's just suppress that. We don't need to experience all those emotions. We don't need those wearing those emotions out here on our sleeves. We just need to suppress that. It starts really early. Think about it. Kids on the playground, if they cry or they're upset, what do the other kids say? Cry, baby. 
and women, of course, since the 60s, there's a song about it, Big Girls Don't Cry. And what about men? If you're a real man, definitely you don't cry. So we have all of these issues with emotions telling us to suppress them, but I think there's a real problem with that because I don't think that God really intended us to suppress all these emotions in our lives. And what if, just think about it, what if God wanted to use emotions in your life to really speak to you, to direct you in things that he's called you to do? What if, so that's where we're going today, is what if. You know, there are lots of people in the Bible that we can look at who had emotions. David, King David being one of the primary ones, you know, he wrote all those psalms. He wrote love songs to God. When he was in a difficult place in his life, you know, he cried and he wrote that God stored every tear that he cried in a bottle because he knew that those tears were valuable to God. We can also look at Paul and Silas. You know, Paul and Silas were in jail and if there's any place that you really wanna be a man's man and not show emotion, I would think that would be to your fellow prisoners when you're in jail. But they had no problem expressing their love to God and singing songs and um, didn't have any problem with their emotions. Of course, the biggest example of godly emotion in the Bible, of course, is Jesus. You know, Jesus got angry. He turned over the tables in the temple when the money changers were there and got upset about it and to the point that he did something about it. You know, when Lazarus died, he came up and the family was all grieving and he knew he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, but they were grieving and his heart was moved and he wept. And you know, Jesus also stood and looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept. You know, when's the last time that we stood and looked over the city of Oklahoma City and had that godly compassion over Oklahoma City to the point that we wept? So today, we're gonna dig into godly emotion in our lives. You know, 1 John 2.16 says, if anyone claims to live in Christ, they must walk as Jesus did. So Jesus showed godly emotion, and so I think that we all need to experience godly emotions in our lives. So from now on, I'm going to recreate the word emotion for you. You're no longer gonna look at it as one word. You're gonna look at it as two. One part being just the E, and the other part being motion, E and motion. Now, does anybody know what the symbol E stands for in science? Energy. The E stands for energy. So now, from now on, when you look at emotion, you're not gonna look at it as two words, you're gonna look at it as E for energy and motion. Emotions compel you to do things. They energize you. They put your life in motion and it, they cause you to take action when you get really energized about something and emotional about something. So today we're gonna look at someone in the Bible who experienced some really deep emotion and because of that, they put their life in motion and decided they were going to do something about a problem that they saw and that is Nehemiah. Now Nehemiah, does anybody know what Nehemiah did? What he's famous for doing? He built a wall, exactly. 
So I just love Nehemiah because he was a problem solver. And I am a problem solver. I, don't, I may not know how to solve your problem, but if you have a problem, I'm probably going to figure out how to come up with some solution to it. Now, before we get in, jump into Nehemiah, just to set the stage here, um, all, it, this is about 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. And the, Jerusalem had pretty much been destroyed. All the walls were broken down. The gates were broken down. There had been a lot of fire. And the temple had been torn down, but it was in the process of being rebuilt at this time. But still, all the walls were down. And all the Jews had been driven out of the city, and they were all living in other places in exile, including Nehemiah. He was actually a cupbearer for the king in Persia. And if you don't know what a cupbearer is, it's just somebody who takes the king's food and wine and eats a little bit of it, drinks a little bit of the wine before they give it to the king to make sure it's not poison. So I guess that's a really good job if you like drinking wine all day because you get to taste the king's wine. I think it would be a good job just because you get to live in the palace so you would be nice and safe and secure in life. I think that would be fun. But so Nehemiah... He was a responsible citizen, and so every night he watched the world news on TV, and he got on Facebook to check in with all his friends who were living in Jerusalem just to see how things were going. No, that's not how it worked. 400 years before Christ came, is it? And that term that we use, news travels fast, well, I don't think news traveled very fast in 400 BC. So one day, Nehemiah's in the palace, and some friends come by from Jerusalem. And so he asks them, how's it going in Jerusalem? And then we pick up in Nehemiah 1.3. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah heard the news about these people who were living in trouble, and it caused him to weep. It caused him to be so upset that he cried. But the first thing he did was pray. He prayed first. So when he heard this news and it made him so upset, he prayed first. Now, a few months later, He's still thinking about this and pondering this. And I'm sure he's thinking, there's nothing I can do about it. I live in Persia. That's all the way in Jerusalem. And, you know, I'm a servant to the king. I can't leave. So in chapter 2, we see a few months later, he's still sad. And the king asked him, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And in verse 3, Nehemiah said to the king, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to him, what is it that you want? Now, Nehemiah didn't answer the king just immediately when he said, what is it that you want? It says, then I prayed to God of heaven. So he stopped before he spoke. What? You know, that's a lesson a lot of us can learn, especially when we're having emotions. Stop and pray before we let words come out of our mouth. But he stopped and he prayed first, and then he answered the king. 
And he said, send me to Jerusalem so I can rebuild it. He actually asked the king, let me go. I want to rebuild Jerusalem. I want to rebuild these walls. And the king said, yes. Now, not only did the king say yes, but Nehemiah went out on a bigger limb, and he said, and by the way, will you also give me letters to all the governors that I'm gonna have to pass through their territory so that I can have safe passage? And also, will you give me a letter to the Department of Forestry so I can have some timber to be able to rebuild those gates when I get there? And also, would you mind sending some army officers with me and some cavalry to protect me? And the king gave him everything that he asked for. Because when God calls you to do something, he is always going to provide the means to get that job done. Skipping all the way to chapter six, verse 15, and the wall was completed in 52 days. Now, just so you don't sit here and Google, like how big is the circumference of Jerusalem? I already Googled that for you. It is two and a half miles. Two and a half miles of wall got built in 52 days. Now, I know you drive on the same Oklahoma roads I do, and I don't think that ODOT can even fix two and a half miles of road in 52 days, much less build something in 52 days. Now, I encourage you to read the entire book of Nehemiah this week. It is short, but it is filled with such awesome leadership lessons that we can't get into today, but I just love Nehemiah because he prayed first before he did anything else. When he got to Jerusalem, he actually put a team together to get the job done, and of course, when he got there, everything was just smooth sailing and easy because when God calls you to do something, it's always easy, right? No, it wasn't easy at all. He experienced opposition even from those people he was trying to help and enemies came and it was a big problem and probably one of my favorite leadership lessons out of Nehemiah is when he got there, he had to go inspect the walls at night in the dark and you know, when you're a leader, things have to get done and a lot of those things get done in the dark at night when nobody's watching and you don't get credit for it, but job's gotta go on. So, but the thing I want to focus on today is Nehemiah's heart. When he heard that those people were in trouble, he was moved with a heart of compassion so strongly that he wept, and he decided, you know what? I'm, my foot is down. I am going to do something about this. Now, obviously, other people were living in Jerusalem. Why hadn't somebody else done this. I mean, they'd been living there for years. Why hadn't somebody else organized a team? Let's get this wall built. Why are we living in this city in fear of our enemies? Because we have no walls. Why didn't they get it done? I don't know. But Nehemiah was so moved when he heard about it, he said, I have got to do something about this. And in 52 days, he did. It was done. So for all of us, I want to just ask you, in the next 52 days, would you just pray and ask, God, what is it that you may be calling me to do? What is it that we can do to reach our city, to improve the lives of the people around us? You know, um, what you have to realize is that passion is born from your heart. And Nehemiah's heart was moved with 
passion, and that's what made him do all these things to get this wall built. Now, we have, um, when I was a kid, I always wanted to have piano lessons. And so when Faith got old enough to get piano lessons, then we talked to Pat, and we said, Pat, hey, Faith, she's big enough to take piano lessons now. Pat's like, yeah, she's big enough. So we started piano lessons. Well, that went along, and then it was, Faith, you need to practice. I want to practice. Yes, Faith, you do need to practice. I don't want to practice. And we're like, okay, it's just part of life. You've got to practice. If you're going to get good, you've got to practice. I don't care if I get good. I don't want to play piano. And so it got to be this huge chore, and we said, okay, forget it. Forget piano lessons. We're dropping that. Then about probably two years later, one summer, I come home from work, and Faith has her iPad above the keyboard, and she's been sitting there for hours, and she's been on YouTube, learn how to play the piano videos, and she's like trying to teach herself piano again, and I'm like, oh my goodness, she has a heart for this again. She has a passion for it. So we get piano lessons, and then all these years later, you can see where, where we are face up here playing piano with Pat. She's helping with school chapel. She helps on Wednesday night playing the piano. No matter what we did, we could not pound and force passion into Faith's heart over the piano. She had to have that passion rise up in her own heart. And that's where Nehemiah was. That passion rose up in his heart. So those things that you find yourself really passionate about, just remember those things may be a clue to the things that God has planned for your life, the purposes in your life, his call for your life. You know, I am passionate about something. I am passionate about injustice. I hate it when things are unfair. And I guess that's why I became a lawyer, because I can do something about it when things are not right and when things are not fair. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I can never be a lawyer, and, you know, you go to court and argue things. Well, you can ask my family. When I get home, sometimes you have to be ready for the fire hydrant when they ask me, how was your day today? And I say, you know, this one on, and and like, I am just so riled up. And I can sit in a courtroom and there, you know, you have two tables and the other side's at one table and you're a table and the judge is there and you think, that would be terrifying to have to stand in front of that judge and have an argument. But when you listen to the other side and the lawyer is twisting things, telling lies, just manipulating the information to the judge, and you're like, that is not right, and you just get so upset about it, then you, I mean, I just can't wait until it is my turn to march up there, and you can bet that I have an emotionally passionate argument to present to the judge, and that's what causes me to love what I do. It's because I'm passionate about it, So, it's energy, emotion. Just remember that E plus emotion. Your emotions, that emotion stirs in me and that puts me in motion to take action. Now, Nehemiah, he was on a mission to change his world. Now, was there something maybe that Nehemiah, maybe somebody was better than Nehemiah at this? Maybe 
somebody could have done better than Nehemiah, but God didn't think so. He called Nehemiah out, even though Nehemiah thought that, you know, maybe he thought, you know, I can't do that, but he could. And in 52 days, he got the job done. So I have something that I feel like God has been really raising up in my heart to do. And I have been saying, telling God, you know, there's somebody better than me for that. I guarantee it. I can't do that. And there's definitely somebody with more resources than me to get that task done, not me. And there's definitely somebody with more time than me to take care of that to God. You know, somebody else would be better at this job than me. But God just keeps laying it on my heart. And so I am committing that in the next 52 days, I'm gonna take steps to actually do something about that thing that God has been laying in my heart. And don't be surprised if I call on some of you to help me with this big project that I feel like God's been calling me to. Now, the bigger thing is not really what is God calling you to, but who is God calling you to? Because God's heart is all about people. Nehemiah was emotionally moved. Not, he didn't, the walls were down. Who cares? He didn't care about the walls being down. He cared about the people who were there living in fear because the walls were down. And that enabled him to actually go rise up and do something about it. So what we have to do is realize that we need to have eyes to see people the way God sees people and to really feel about people the way God feels about people. And that will enable you when you're walking by people, maybe you're walking by a coworker, maybe you're just walking by somebody at Target, maybe you're walking by somebody who's homeless. Those hurting people are no longer invisible to you. And you know, we live such busy, rushed lives that we walk right by invisible, hurting people every day because we don't have time. But those people, they're not invisible to God. God loves them. God cares about them. And they have to become not invisible to us as well. We have to have God's heart to let people not, no longer be invisible. Now, the next thing I love about Nehemiah was his passion caused him to do things that he never thought he could do. You know, his heart was broken, and I bet he thought, I can't do anything about this. I live in Persia. I don't live in Jerusalem. I'm a servant to a king. He's not gonna let me go do anything about this. I don't have any money. How am I supposed to go take care of a wall? But you know what? Even despite that, he rose up in his passion and did things that he never thought he could do and never thought he would do. You know, like some of you who got up at midnight and went Black Friday shopping, what is all that about? You know, did you ever think that you could do or would do something crazy like that? Now, <coughs> we have a little weenie dog, and he just definitely lives up to his dachshund weenie dog name, and 
any time that it is cold outside, he does not want to go out. Anybody else have a little dog? I mean, what, a couple weeks ago when it did snow, you just, okay, copper, let's go out. He goes to the front door and you open the door and he just gets one whiff of that cold, snowy air. It's like, no way. Runs to the living room rug, sits there, and you're like, copper, get outside. Get, get outside. Nope, nope. He's just going to sit there and be stubborn. He's not going. So you walk over to him, and you're like, you're going outside, whether or not you like it. And he rolls over on his back and lays there and is like, no, I'm not going outside. And you're like, yes, you are going outside. Anybody else's dog ridiculous like this? So you have to pick him up, and you go toss him outside and tell him he's got to pee no matter what. He's not coming back inside until he does. But even though he acts like that, all it, if there is a crow in the yard, the turkeys are in the yard, a squirrel is in the yard, and you open the door and he sees that stuff, it doesn't care if it's pouring down rain, if it's five inches of snow. He sees something he's passionate about taking care of, that thing in his yard, and he is out the door taking care of it because he is passionate about it. All those things that are like problems to him on a normal day, he doesn't care about them anymore. You know, if I'm going to tell a story about faith, and I've also got to tell a story about Lexi because we're equal opportunity speakers up here. And so Lexi is our nice, sweet child, and she would never say anything to hurt anybody's feelings, and she's just, whatever you want to do, she's willing to go do it with you just because she's so sweet but if anybody is ever under attack, Lexi comes to their defense, and she comes to their defense in a very loud way, doing things that she never thought she would or could do, I'm sure. So recently, we are at a family meal with some people at a restaurant, and there's a long table of lots of people at this restaurant, and I'm at one end of the table, and Lexi's on the other end, and I hear a commotion, and of discussion going on down here. I'm like, what is going on down there? I can hear Lexi all the way from here. That is very unusual. And <laughs> come to find out, as I listen a little closer, somebody has just told Faith that she cannot be a doctor and a pastor because women can't preach and women cannot speak in church. So Lexi, in her emotional response, came to face defense, and she was informing this person that that was her sister's call in her life and that she could do these things, and Lexi was just going on and on. So a few weeks ago, I'm up here on stage, and I'm doing the prayer call for everybody to come pray, you know, at the sides, and standing on the stage, and Lexi's back where she is right now today, running the computer, and if you look at all of our media people, they all have these headsets on. They can hear each other, and they can talk, and they're talking, okay, that, what, they move that camera, you know, whatever needs to be, happen, they're all talking to each other. Well, I'm on stage, and over the headset, Lexi hears, you know, people over age 25 should not wear ripped jeans. To which Lexi replies, hey, that is my mom you are talking about. <laughs> you media people, you need to be on your best behavior back there. <laughs> Lexi's listening. 
But I'm sure Lexi, you know, she's just so sweet. She would never think about having this passionate response and getting on to people. But, you know, passion causes you to do things that you never thought that you would do or could do. Now, the final thing that I really love about Nehemiah is he did what God, he felt like God was calling him to do, even though he didn't think he could. I'm sure that he thought to himself, yeah, God, you know, we skipped that part of life where you call me to go to college and get a degree in structural engineering so I can build a wall. You know, the thing is that was Nehemiah the best person for the job? I don't know. God thought he was. You know, did he have the best skills for the job? I don't know, but God worked it out. You know, Nehemiah may have not been the best person for the job, but he cared about it the most. And that's what is important. So what's God calling you to do? You don't have to be the best person for the job. You just have to care about it the most. Whatever God is calling you to, you know, in his weakness, we are made strong. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask, imagine, or dream. He doesn't say, I want you to do more than you could ever dream about. He says, he's going to do those things that are more than we could ever ask or dream about. You know, God gave Nehemiah a divinely inspired action plan. And I believe God is calling us and he's going to download to us these divinely inspired action plans. You know, we are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And God wants to illuminate solutions to us. Maybe you have a passion for homeless, for the homeless. And God's gonna illuminate solutions that just totally solve homelessness in Oklahoma City to you because you get this passion for it. Maybe God's putting a passion in your heart for injustices in our society, maybe for sex trafficking or racial discrimination. You know, godly emotion in your life will move you from just seeing that there is a problem to actually coming up with a solution to do something about the problem. Maybe God's calling you to do something simple, like you're walking through Target and God just reveals to you his heart of compassion over somebody maybe who's limping and God's like, go pray for that person. And you're like, no, that wasn't me. I, that, that was me, not you, God, right? <laughs> I don't wanna go pray for that person. And God's like, no. If you understood my love for that person, my heart for that person, if you saw that person the way I see that person, you would have no hesitation to go pray for that person when I've called you to pray for that person. Maybe God has put it on your heart to foster a child or adopt a child. Will he just spend the next 52 days just do something to move toward doing those things that you know that God has called you to do? Maybe God has called you to start a business. Maybe God's called you to start a ministry. Maybe he's called you to start a ministry for people who are addicted. Maybe for people who are just getting out of prison. Maybe you don't need to start anything at all. Maybe you just need to volunteer with some charities who are already doing that. Maybe you need to contact Barb Garrett and say, hey, I'm gonna become a WizKids volunteer on Thursday afternoons. Do you wanna change the nature of poverty in our nation? Teach one kid 
how to read so they can fill out a job application. You know, I have a friend whose husband got passed along in school, passed along, passed along, finally he drops out of high school because he can't read. She has to go on job interviews with him just so that she can fill out his job applications because he can't read. You know, our church volunteers with whiz kids and we bring in second graders from Crooked Oak to help because that school district has a really high dropout rate because of illiteracy. So we tutor these kids. Well, Barb was telling me two weeks ago that a lady had come into the church office and she was um, asking for money to help get her electricity turned on. She'd actually been homeless for a year and had actually managed to get into some public housing here somewhere near the church. And so she was coming to ask for help. Just please, I just need to get my electricity turned on. I've got everything else under control now. I've just been living without electricity and it was, was really cold. And so because of your giving, we were able to help her get her electricity turned on. But that's not the best part of the story. Barb also was able to get her a Thanksgiving food basket from the, through the school. And, but Barb tells her, you know, if you come on Thursday afternoon to pick up your Thanksgiving basket, I won't be here because we do whiz kids and I'll be over there helping tutor um, the second graders. And the lady stops and she asks her, do you also teach adults how to read? Now, which one of you is gonna volunteer to come meet that lady down here and teach her how to read? Now, do you know how to teach people how to read? Probably not. Not many of us are teachers, and especially reading teachers. But it doesn't matter because you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. I'm sure that Barb will loan you some WizKids supplies to come teach this lady how to read. You know, you don't, maybe you have a heart for illiteracy and you think, well, I need to like contact Pastor Nisa and I'm gonna need some brochures and I'm gonna need to do an announcement on Sunday mornings and I'm gonna need volunteers and hopefully the church is gonna help me with all that. You don't need all those things to start a ministry. Just start doing it. Maybe you tutor this one lady and she tells her friends and then you get two or three and man, you got two or three people and then you tell your community group, hey, I've got these people and they really need tutoring to learn how to read. And so you get your community group involved and voila, a ministry is born. You just have to jump in and do it for those things that you really care about. You know, God's heart is always about people and God really wants to use your emotions to minister to people around you. And I just want you to look at, for just a moment, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I love how the New Living Translation says this. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, how is it that we need to get tenderizing? You know, you think about if you're a cook, how do you tenderize hard meat? Well, you can marinate it in something acidic. You can cook it low and slow. You can use a hammer to pound it. And I'm really at that place where I'm just like, God, tenderize my heart. If you have to light a fire under me for a long time, 
light a fire under me. If you gotta pound me with a hammer, pound me with a hammer because I want my heart to be tender before you. If you need um, to marinate me low and slow in my prayer closet, then marinate me low and slow in my prayer closet. You know, when's the last time you were just in prayer and you just broke out in tears and you had no idea why, but you were just in the presence of God. His heart was downloading to your heart. You were having this emotional um, interaction with your God. You know, I, there are three things that we've really looked at and learned from Nehemiah today, and that is whatever stirs your heart, stirs your passion. Your passion's gonna cause you to rise up and do things you never thought that you could or that you would do. You don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. Will you open your heart today and let God just use your emotions? Will you just let him tenderize your heart? 